1: Hello, everyone. This is Lando Norris, and we're on
2: Beyond the Grid. Hi, everyone. We're back. Yes, welcome to season three of Beyond the Grid. My name is Tom Clarkson, and it's great to have you with us for another year of revealing conversations with the biggest names in racing. We've got some great guests coming up with some truly great stories to tell And my first guest is absolutely no exception. He's a driver who's only entering his second season of Formula One, yet he's already one of the sport's most popular drivers. He's developed a cult following with fans on social media, his quirky quit-wit proving to be a hit with all ages. And that's to say nothing of his speed in a racing car. Only a year ago, he was making his Formula One debut in Melbourne, aged just 19. He acquitted himself well getting into Q3 at Albert Park and he went on to establish himself as quick and consistent playing an integral part in securing McLaren's fourth place in the Constructors' Championship his reward was a second season with the team in 2020 in which he'll seek to become part of the F1 establishment I'm talking of course about Lando Norris Lando and I caught up on the final day of pre-season testing in Barcelona he was in typically relaxed and amusing form in fact In 20-plus years in Formula One, I don't think I've had a conversation with a driver similar to this one. Yes, we spoke about how his McLaren is shaping up for 2020, but we delved into so many other areas as well, including his love of gaming, his unusual upbringing, his relationships with other drivers, and his rather extreme approach to cleaning the house. I kid you not. I hope you enjoy it. Lando... Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you on. The new season's just around the corner. Before we get started, there's an interesting pile of food sat in front of you. Um, <laughs>
1: which I've not eaten.
2: Which you have not eaten. <laughs> I seem to do a lot of these interviews with people eating uh, uh, Daniel oh, yeah? Ricardo, But that was he was eating chips, interestingly. That's a lot more healthy, isn't it? What is it? A bit of chicken? Um, it's chicken skewers with
1: some sweet potato, some vegetables and a little side salad.
2: And, and who dictates what you have for lunch are you able to choose or is, is it all quite strict um, I mean
1: I, I have my preferences which is normally a chicken wrap with rice and guacamole I mean that, that's, I go through a big a huge quantity of wraps this is not on my favourites list but sometimes you just gotta not have what you you always want because I'll get bored of wraps eventually so I have to sometimes give myself something I don't necessarily like so when I go back to having a wrap it's glorious <laughs> <laughs> but my, my trainer um, my trainer pretty much decides doesn't decide but he gives me a whole list of things I can choose from that I, I should have uh, but I mean this is all cold down. I just had a meeting in the in the truck and uh, this has been sitting in front of me for at least an hour
2: oh okay so it might do another but hour but I've been doing a lot way. of talking yeah
1: and I yeah. probably will be now so it's going to be in front of me for another <laughs> hour
2: <laughs> Well, you look in good shape. Um, I mean, they always say fitness is cumulative. Yeah. Are you in? How much better shape are you in now compared to 12 months ago coming into your first
1: season? Uh, I think a lot better. Um, I mean, the main thing is how I've done in the last few days. And one of the biggest things everyone struggles with is neck around here after doing
2: so many laps. We're, we're in Barcelona. It's the last Barcelona. day of the first, sorry, second pre-season second test. test. And the yeah. neck's been standing up to these G-forces. Um, well, hmm.
1: test one, no, test one. I was, by the end of it, I was struggling. I did the race run and everything and I did a decent amount in the gym. Not like, you know, not every single day going at it, but what I, I needed to do, what my trainer said, you need to do these amount of days and so on. So I've done all of that. So I was feeling good, but, um, I don't even think if you do all of as if you train every day, you're not going to go into day one of driving a formula one car after a winter break and be be fine it's just the way of how driving a car works you just can't replicate it by someone pulling on your neck and sitting off the side of your bed doing neck exercises um because you don't have the whole force on your body and your shoulders you not in the same position um and you can replicate it as much as you want but you're not driving a formula one car until you're driving a formula one car and these are quicker than last year
2: right? they is are is it noticeable it, on your body The force is going through. It
1: is. And I think for us, obviously, uh, we had, you know, compared to Mercedes, I'm sure they struggled to make as... I'm hoping they can't take as much of a step forward as what we should be able to, let's say. Um, And we want to be getting closer to them. So we should be the ones getting much quicker in the corners, which you do notice physically because you go from doing your your qualifying runs or you you do practice runs you go on new 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 tires, low fuel, cornering speeds go up. You feel it physically straight away. You know you're going five ten k quicker in the corners, um, especially around to here, turn three, turn one, turn four, medium and high speed corners, and you feel it straight away. So, I mentioned for Mercedes who <laughs> go even quicker. Physically, you do need to be stronger to drive a Mercedes than another car. But uh, and for us, we've taken a step forward in those medium and high speed corners. So physically it is tougher um but day one i struggled and everyone struggled on the grid i mean even the people who have been in it for 10 years and know what to expect and how it's going to be vettel lewis max ricardo you see all of them after lunchtime their necks are they're saying hello to the the headrests very often um and so was mine like being honest so was mine. But. um this week I'm much better like after recovering and just doing getting the first weekend the first week out of the way the first few days letting your body recover after getting used to how everything works again Um, I did my race run I did all the quality runs and uh, I was good I didn't touch the headrest once which I'm kind of proud of yay because I'm not the biggest (laughs) I'm not the biggest guy I'm not the strongest I know that and uh, you know you see all the other drivers who are say they're in the gym every day and they're the fittest they've ever been, and um, they're leaning their necks on every single corner.
2: So, look, that's, that's the physical differences, right? Yes. Between last year and this year. But as you come into year two, how does it feel mentally in terms of you know the score, you know yeah. the media now, you know how it works, you know how to get the best out of the team? And with that, is there more pressure to perform?
1: There's a different pressure, there's less pressure altogether. Less pressure that I put on myself. I think last year I put a lot of pressure on myself um, because I didn't know how I was going to do. I did well in some testing and everything, but that's not the actual race weekend. Um, but that must have lessened after Melbourne. Yeah, that straight away after weekend. Melbourne, Q3 it went down. Melbourne, yeah, yeah, and I felt much better than I did by rain. Had a much better, better race. Yeah, yeah. Then I had in Australia, even better. So. I had a very good first two races to give myself a lot of confidence, which I think helped massively. But I put a lot of pressure on myself not knowing what to expect. Now, I know what to expect. I don't need to put that pressure on myself. Um, I didn't need to put it on before, but I just, I was putting it on myself. So now I am I feel much better for my own well-being, but then at the same time, there's always pressure from just being a Formula One driver. Um,
2: you kind of have to be on working for the whole time don't you yes you can't have a bad day no Do you, I mean, is that true um, I mean or, you, you obviously but can you to, but you have to mask a bad day very well
1: yeah you need to come up with this
2: <laughs> the excuse book for
1: <laughs> yeah but you know I just feel like we didn't start the weekend off right <laughs> and
2: that led to not get
1: working on the setup as well but as we should have done is,
2: is that exhausting though that that feeling of you get on the plane to go to a race and and you know that from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave yeah. on Sunday night people are looking at you people are listening to every word you say people mm. are judging every sector you do on a racetrack
1: no I think that that is there but we're still humans we we make mistakes sometimes It's it's expected of course being last year in my first year it was expected more so so you have a bit more leeway to make those mistakes and if it does happen it's don't worry, you. Don't do it again. <laughs> um, but I'm more confident in myself, and I know I will do a better job. Um, but it is, yeah. It's Formula One. There is pressure. That there's always going to be pressure, no matter if you're in your. You know, I'm sure for Lewis, there's still pressure. There's still some expectation for him to do well and so on. But I think you just get a bit used to it, and it becomes the norm. So then it just. You don't feel it eventually in, in certain ways.
2: And how has your understanding of speed and how to make the car go quick evolved? It's,
1: um, it's much better, actually. Um, especially my understanding for the car and how it works. Because F one cars are so complicated, it's insane. Um, what and how to make
2: them go fast?
1: In terms of setup-wise and everything. Um, you know, the differences from a bumpy track to a smooth track and how the car operates there's always a little window for how the car perfectly operates and you always want to try and get it in that window for different tracks and sometimes you can't and you have to adjust your driving style to suit that so the understanding for how the car needs to be driven and set up and so on um and my ideas and knowledge for the setup and what you know i can now say i think we should try this because i remember when we did that last year that was a good step forward so i have some memories and things I can look back on and say, we have to do this or this worked last time and so on. Do you keep a notebook? No. As well,
2: a, Do you go to a race and... and I was a bringing little...
1: a notebook I ended up writing I ended up writing nothing in it. <laughs> but I want to, like, um, no, I mean, we do. I don't have my own notebook but as...
2: I'm not sure Will. We have our Jack. own
1: chat and we always write anything that I come up with or I have an idea for or they do, we put it in the chat and we discuss it next time we see each other. So... I guess we got a uh, social
2: notebook. So so you are you now more demanding as a racing driver in terms of Will Joseph your your race engineer. Yeah. Do, do you, if he was sat in this chair here would he be <laughs> nodding saying yes he is more demanding.
1: Um I yes, I was, but not in not in, obviously in a bad way. I'm not saying I'm arrogant or anything like that, but last year, you know, my first year um, I didn't have the knowledge of those guys in in a lot of areas, so in a lot of circumstances when they're saying I think we should do this I was agreeing to it I'm like yeah box am slap I'm like, yeah okay I'm doing I'll do that because that's what they think is the best at that time and, and so on so I always there was a lot of yeses I was a yes man last year and this year already in preseason, like they're saying alright Lando box this slap and I said no I feel so bad like no I'm doing another lap um and I say no. I just I didn't feel like I got it right. I want to. I need a bit more of a feeling for the setup, or I just want to get turn right. I get um, turn one right uh, before we go into the qualifying run, or I want to try this or something. So, for my own good and for the good for everyone, actually, it's um, I'm a bit more demanding. What I want to do, and want to achieve, and um, yeah, it's not just for my own benefit, but. I'll do a better job because of it and then I'll give better feedback on the car because of it and so on. So yeah, I'm at the point now and after doing the season where they also trust me when I say it. It's not like I always get it wrong and I'm saying yes because I'm arrogant, but I'm saying yes because it's the best thing for for me.
2: So is it fair to say from a setup point of view you maybe followed Carlos Sainz teammate Carlos Sainz a bit last year and we're going to see you maybe do your own thing a bit more in 2020 not not completely sometimes it was the contrast
1: sometimes it was like I would do it and sometimes I didn't necessarily want the fastest car I wanted one that I felt good in and I felt like I could be confident in Um, already like in Australia last year my first time Carlos was going with a bit more aggressive one he felt maybe not so confident with maybe he felt confident but compared to me I'm like a bit stiffer. I don't want that I, don't want, I want the confidence on the brakes I want to be able to push the braking and I don't want to lose confidence basically so go for a slightly softer setup, and and so on and sometimes I'll be the opposite way of what Carlos is going. so you have that and then you have the other time where so I'm like look Carlos did that and it looked like a good step let's just do what he's done. And sometimes that's between FP3 and qualifying. And sometimes that's from FP2 to FP3. So I wouldn't say I just followed what they did because it was my first time and I didn't know what to do. I think, and I'm, I'm happy with what we did between my engineers and myself, that we always did what we thought was best for us, us as a, as a, a team um, and for me and my driver.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
2: It's fascinating and fun to hear you talking so technically about the car because, I mean, if I was to say to you what's the biggest misapprehension about you, the the sort of biggest misunderstanding about you, what would it be? Would it be that you're actually very analytical and it slightly goes against the jokey persona that you you developed Um, last year? I don't think the outside world hears you talk in such detail about a car and stuff like that. So now's your chance, folks.
1: It's like, yeah, I think I'm quite, a lot of the time I'm quite broad with things. Like when I say something, I'll say it in a quite simple way to most people. But when I get into something, and it's not just saying something, but say, um, I don't know, I think this is a good something to compare to. If I'm cleaning the house...
2: I've um, just bought a new house haven't you so you're obviously still very house proud
1: yes <laughs> completely <laughs> so let's talk about cleaning the house um, if I'm cleaning the house I get into it and I can't stop until one for the, the speaking I've described everything and I feel like I've transferred it in the best driver feeling way to an engineer who's not driven a Formula 1 car and he looks at graphs and he tries to judge a car from that um because it's not, you know, we don't just say, yeah, we've got to understeer here and I just turn the wheel more and it doesn't grip. We have to try and explain it in a way to a guy who designs it and comes up with these ideas. And, you know, you need to tell them every little bit of detail that maybe puts the car in a, a certain position, whether it's a few millimeters, that's massive in Formula One. Um, so it's like you need to describe everything. And... Um, when I get into something I just I have to complete it, I have to finish it, I have to do all the details. So when I'm cleaning the house, I can't just start it. Like once I've started, I'll spend all night until three in the morning or something. Probably because I've started at like twelve o'clock and I just had a stupid idea to go, oh, I'm gonna start cleaning up. I just can't stop it and go, Yeah, I'll leave this for tomorrow. I have to complete it and, and do everything and then I'll go to bed at <laughs> stupid o'clock four in the morning going having cleaned the house I've cleaned night. it that's amazing and I come down the to come next round morning to mind probably, probably knackered <laughs> and go but
2: then I'm happy with myself and I'm like nice are you a bit of a night owl oh completely so what, what I mean you, you say you go to bed at four o'clock in the morning and that that's, I, I was that's surprised on a rare, a rare occasion that, is that, that is, I've
1: decided <laughs> to clean <laughs>
2: <laughs> but is it I mean are you a midnight is it oh uh, yes I um midnight to bed
1: yeah um, I mean actually lately and so over the winter I was and I was going to bed too late for now for going back to McLaren for going back to to doing what I love um, and for working and operating on my best there's I have, I have different times so I have the I want to spend all night having fun and playing games and whatever there is no limit to that that can end up sometimes that doesn't end I'll spend the whole, Forty-eight hours doing it, um, and then hey, something. Hang on, hey, stop! You, really? really? Yeah, really. Forty-eight hours. There was non-stop. Game. Uh, Forty-eight hours. I would say, say, I wake up at ten in the morning. Um, have some breakfast. Get on the computer <laughs> for a few hours. Have lunch, and pretty much spend, let's say, two o'clock until seven. Or actually, won't be able. Two o'clock till nine. I'll have dinner. I think go like from nine till the next day what time all through the night seven till 7am 7
2: till 7am still
1: playing <laughs> oh breakfast uh, then i spend all the way till like midnight the next day
2: that's extraordinary
1: but it's just I don't know why it's just that's how much I, well, en- I, I other enjoy old, things other 20 I mean other than calming. 20 them going out at night and yeah. coming out at 5 every morning and,
2: and you're doing it being drunk
1: way. and stuff so mine's I'm not getting drunk I'm not getting drunk I do that very rarely, um, but I don't enjoy that. Whereas I love doing stuff, and stuff I love doing, I just can't stop doing. So whether it's driving or you know, designing my helmets or designing my clothing um, or coming up with those ideas or playing games or something or playing my, my computer, once I'm doing that, I just, I'm just having so much fun. I don't go, oh, I'm getting a bit tired now. I just, the fun overrides all of that, and the enjoyment overrides all of that. Um, and I become a nerd and I spend however many hours that is.
2: When you say designing your own clothing, yeah. What do you mean by that? I didn't. Well,
1: I had a little I had a bad boy moment where I, I was like, I just wanted to create my own merch. So I went onto his website and started creating it and uh, then started selling
2: some stuff and then got a bit of a telling off from McLaren because I'm not allowed to do that. And, and was. <laughs> <laughs> What was the style? I didn't see this. I didn't know you. Well, no one's. That. No one's I'm talking about one hour. I got no, no, I, th- I thought you said you sold some stuff. Yeah,
1: I did a couple <laughs> things. <laughs> so I'm. A, I'm a massive hoodie guy. Always hoodies. I don't think you'll ever see me. Very rarely wear a. Is it a fleece? A, a, just a normal jumper that's got no hoodie on. Apart from when I have to dress a bit smarter, then I wear it. But any time I'm traveling, I'm in casual clothing. From here to the airport in a bit from anytime you see me traveling I will not be wearing a normal jumper I'll always be wearing a hoodie because you're trying to hope no I People just don't love hoodies.
2: You. No, I just, hoodie. they're comfortable
1: I, so, I can't do it one with no neck I don't know I feel really cold then my neck feels really cold
2: oh I see so the hoodie's not up the whole time you're um just... some of the time half the time incognito yeah window, no with worries. my headphones over the top
1: I still can't work out if I put my headphones under the hoodie or my headphones <laughs> over the hoodie or I just get in-ear Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> I've not worked that one out yet. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm not good at Photoshop. I'm not good at those kind of things, but I still can create little logos. I mean, I use my logo and I cut it up into a few bits and then kind of put it back together and it looks a bit jagged and so on. And, um, I don't know, it just looks cool and it's a bit of a style and stuff. Um, or you can do different colors for it And just create some stuff. what a
2: pity we can't buy that I know right did you say well Lewis can do that
1: (laughs) I don't (laughs) I don't feel like I have that kind of authority (laughs) (laughs) in year one of driving for McLaren (laughs) compared to a six time world champion I didn't feel like I had the right to do that Um, but I would love to like
2: it's really interesting I love
1: doing that kind of stuff that's one of my passions and things I love doing is designing and coming up with my own ideas and stuff like that and uh, yeah, I just had that like with the cleaning stuff. This moment, I'm I'm like, I got this idea. I just want to create a jumper and sell it. <laughs> and then I do the, create jumpers and then some T-shirts. Um, I mean, and phone cases as well. Um, and I can come up with my own designs, and you know, I can transfer it. And I can I can do that kind of stuff. And then I completed. It. I was happy with myself that I completed. You, it. Are you very arty? I'm. I have a a keen eye. for art I wouldn't say I'm the best at it like when I was in school I loved art right not you know hand painting on a canvas but uh, more the graphic design the cool um, interaction parts the yeah the the more fun stuff rather than painting on a canvas I didn't enjoy that kind of stuff but the um, yeah graphic design is probably one of the best ways to say it just coming up with some I don't know just if I have an idea I, I love doing it I even remember back in school
2: that was a freaking long time ago hang on it wasn't that long ago <laughs> alright <laughs> I assure you it was longer for me
1: 20 2011 ages ago yeah back in the day I went to school with Manuel Maldonado who is Pastor Maldonado's cousin and he races in Formula Renault or something now um, and I went to school with him. And we, of course, we're like best mates because we knew everything about racing. And
2: just Was he racing? Was, he was, was Matt, doing, At the time, he mm, was... He wasn't doing a lot at the time
1: because I think he just moved from Venezuela or something to, to England. Um, and he spoke no English. He ended up speaking quite a bit. But Can you, uh, can you speak Spanish? No. Okay. Um, a little bit. But so how, how no. did you
2: communicate with him? <laughs> hmm? How did you communicate with him? I
1: mean... I couldn't to begin with just sign language of cars push um and I actually got this like um we created this on a big like big poster we coloured in it sounds really sad now coloured in like a picture of the Joker the Joker and we traced it from the projector onto this big poster and we coloured in and uh and it's still really cool actually I have a um at my parents' house uh, is still there, but no, we just have cool There's cool things which I I like and I'm, I have an interest for, um, which I love and I love to keep those things and keep the memories for it, and that's something I love doing since I was really young, um, and doing some like photography and bits and bobs. So, of
2: a, as a as a kid, is that yeah. what you were good at outside of racing um, carts and cars? Oh, I, oh, I don't was think I was thing, ever
1: though? good at it. But I would spend a lot of time doing it, like hours and hours and hours, um, coloring in, like coming up with the helmet designs, um, not even my own, but just making an idea um, or having an idea and coming up with it and stuff. And I spent hours doing that and I did a lot in school and come up with the drawings and find the bottle and try and draw the bottle, but I was not very good at that. So I stopped that and I found more of the graphic design and coming up with the helmet designs my suit design boots, um, that's when it felt more like what I would create I would I'd be wearing and it felt more part of me rather than
2: drawing a picture of a bottle or something. I mean you say when you were at school, I mean, as a guy who did a lot of karting. Yeah. How often were you actually at school, and how much of it was homeschooling in the way that Lewis Hamilton was and so many of the carters?
1: So, I did one year of homeschooling in my final year, which was my year of GCSEs. Before that, we, like, let's see, I hung on as much as I could with being at school and catching up on lost time and, and so on. But karting then was driving and testing Wednesday, Thursday. Racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, most weeks or, or? majority of weeks. I'd say at least two every month. Maybe probably yeah, two, a- three every month. Or you no, this is abroad, international, mainly Italy, Spain, UK, and that's a lot of time. Wednesdays, so I travel Tuesday evening or Tuesday lunchtime. Would have to leave sometimes
2: so you did, did one and a half days a week it was you, awful I don't mean
1: why would anyone come up with the idea of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday weeks of karting and this was when I was 12, 13 but it was you know, kids who are doing that at already like 9, 10 years old so it's a bad thought process whoever came up with that and I think now they've changed it so it's a lot of the time Friday, Saturday, Sunday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday
2: did you feel you were missing
1: out? Or were you just loving the karting so much? No, I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. Of course, I missed out on things. And I missed out on a lot of normal people things and stuff you grow up doing with your friends at school. I've not really kept in contact with any of my friends in school, which is sad. It, it is a kind of a sad thing to think about. But, uh, yeah, I do feel like I missed out on, on certain things. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to change it to do anything else
2: but what's it like being on the road in italy age 12 13 yeah. being homeschooled so what you had a teacher come with you in the, so in the think, truck or
1: no so i was homeschooled in what, gcse time so 20 i oh, sorry you said
2: that yeah yeah i
1: don't know what year that would have been 2014 2013 um what do you i don't know what year but GCSE what is it like is. to be
2: on the road the whole time as a 12 13 14 year old
1: um, I mean, I was loving it because I was missing school. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was tough. It's not all... It wasn't all...
2: Who was who was in the entourage? Who came with you? Did mum, dad come uh, with no. you? Uh, uh, never siblings? my mum, really.
1: Uh, but always my, my dad and my brother. Like, my brother did karting all the way till... We started together and did karting till 2014. The year I made the transition from... I did Janetta and... The, the world championships and before F, um, F4 in 2015 so
2: so Olly,, yeah. is he the reason you got into cars and carts is no it... it's, it's the opposite because um, he's family. the reason there's, I... no, there's no racing history in your no. family so am I right so, yeah. so how did it all happen so I
1: watched it on TV sometimes I, and I watched MotoGP it's the story actually tell a lot. Uh, as I watched GP before I watched F1 or F2 or anything like that. Hence the Rossi. Hence Rossi. And he was the first kind of cool character, which being four, five years old, I just loved He was so cool and the colors and everything. Um, yeah, and he's the guy
2: since that age that I've always looked up to. And, and sorry to interrupt the train of thought, but when you met Rossi, Valentino Rossi yeah. you we're talking about, you went to Silverstone last year, yes. didn't you? To the, to the MotoGP race. What was it like... So he is your hero. If I was to say to you, yeah. who is your hero? Would you say Valentinus? Yes. Orwell. Right. What was it like to meet him and what did you say?
1: Um, what was it like to meet him? Well, it was weird because I'm at the point where you know, I'm old enough now and like, mature enough that it's, you act differently around your heroes than you would have done if I met him when I was 10 and I would have been a massive fanboy and just couldn't stop screaming. Whereas I'm... Yeah, now I'm at the point I was, well, I think I was well, I was 19 then, and you you act more normal, um, and you don't get overexcited and stuff, but well, I want to say I don't know what I would have done if I didn't watch him, but he inspired me to do a lot of the things that I've done and to start motor racing and start... did you tell him that? Um, no, what was the first thing I said? How was it going? <laughs> so boring um, yeah it was one of the first things was, uh, so how was this going because it was in the middle of the race weekend it was Saturday no Sunday Sunday morning they just had warm up and how was it going and we decided that hopefully in the near future we can uh, do a race together he does a bit of car racing he did Dubai 12 hours is it? end of last year so he does a few
2: car races he was quick at Valencia in the Ferrari back in 2006. Back well. in he, testing. He tested alongside Michael Schumacher yeah. and was, did a proper job. Really good job.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Okay, so look, here's the reason yeah. you got into motorsport. So a lot of people might then say, why are, you, are we not having this conversation uh, in a MotoGP panic? Yeah. Why, why are the car racing and not the bike racing? Well, so I started on bikes. Um,
1: and I had a a little motocross Yamaha, uh, when I was much younger, um, still got it now, actually can't start it for some reason. Um, and I started to do that and I, and I loved it. I would spend as much time doing that as I could, but I had one like little crash. I mean, it was a little crash. It felt huge crash. Um, and I just tried doing this little jump and I had no idea what I was doing. And I went over, and I landed on the front wheel, and went over, the bike landed on me. And I saw six, six years old, seven years old. Scared me, didn't want to do it. Um, And I kind of stopped for for a little while. And um, then um, I was watching those races. I started watching a little bit of Formula One as well. But then my dad took my brother and me to Clay Pigeon, which is our local karting track, um, as the British Championships. And somehow we found out that it was, or he found out that it was there. And we went to watch on a Sunday afternoon, um, just in time for the final. And it was really cool. It's my first like, thing I went to go and watch. And I, I, yeah, it was just really cool to see it at that age. And my dad went around asking people if they had any spare suits and boots, because I said I wanted to have a go. But I wasn't allowed, it was a, it was a proper race weekend. Um, so he was going around asking people you got anything spare you got anything you don't need anymore and we ended up going away with I remember the, a blue Sparko suit I think it was and uh, some pair a pair of boots which are way too big for me And <laughs> had to buy the helmets and uh, I didn't even think I bought any boots I think I had to wear the boots which are way too big for me and uh, yeah that was that that was my first time and not long after I think for my 7th birthday I got a Bambino go-kart which I started driving around at home with a little square bit of tarmac where I put some cones out and I would drive around. It was pretty small. But um, yeah, I did that. Loved doing it.
2: Was, was it like a lightning strike? Bam, this is what... Yes. I've never felt this before. Yeah. Sort of first, was, it your, was it your first passion in It life? was.
1: I felt more in control than I ever did in a bike. Well, actually, well, I had the quad bike before I had the bike. And I loved that. So I loved the four wheels, actually. And apparently I was getting too dangerous from it, so my dad sold it without me knowing, and just said it's gone. I felt that was a bit harsh. So I had no more quad biking, then I, then I got the motorbike, which I don't know how that's really any more safe. Um, so I had the motorbike, and then, um, then the quad bike, but then, the, then the go-kart, but the car was the best thing. As soon as I jumped in, it just feels more, It's more comfortable, you're sitting down. I just felt more at home, straight away and um, I loved doing it and my brother saw how much I loved doing it and uh, he wanted to have
2: a go and then he loved doing it and then so you did it together it was something you and him a bit of sibling rivalry
1: pretty much well I only raced against him for the first year or so because he's a bit older than me three years, four years who was quicker? Um, to begin with he was quicker He was much quicker, actually, and he was like doing pretty well. And uh, were you just saying that because he probably listened to this? No, no, no. He was when he first started. When he first started, just reiterating that. You know, we were racing with with George, and at that point we were nobody. Like,
2: I mean, with George Russell we're talking
1: about George Russell, and George was the guy. He was the he was the champion. I don't know know if he was the champion, but he was the the guy winning races. He was a cool guy. If we ever got to racing, we're like, oh my god, we get to. George overtook me today. It's so cool, and he was, yeah, it was that was that was how we started, not knowing anything, and it was just cool to be like on track with George Russell, and he was racing with them, and he did really well in a lot of the races, and I was always a lot further back, but he was my brother's quite tall, six foot something, and that is a disadvantage in, in karting, but whenever it was wet and it's an advantage fact it's an advantage because I was terrible in the way and I was small so it was a disadvantage for me um, he was really good he was polling the European championships in PFI which is a, a carding track in England then he was polling I think another European race in La Conca in Italy um, okay. alright yeah he can do it beating me both of those times this mm. was in 2014 our final year and he had two poles and I think I had none so his so, ratio of, of so why did he stop? <laughs> so he didn't he, doesn't, he didn't enjoy he liked the social side and the um, how relaxing karting was you know we go out there on the Wednesday and it's a lot of time with a lot of friends a lot of competitors but you knew a lot of
2: people I'm surprised your folks didn't have social services after them <laughs> taking both <laughs> of their sons out of school on what a Tuesday did you say
1: yeah um, but I mean there's a lot of drivers doing it and uh, he mm. he really enjoyed how open and fun it was and enjoyment when you get to car racing it's a lot more serious costs a lot more money you're going a lot quicker it's more dangerous and uh He just didn't enjoy that as much. He loved the karting and didn't enjoy the car racing as much. Was that easier for you when he
2: wasn't around? Did you prefer being the focus and the...
1: No, I... um, uh, No. It was, I mean, it was fun when we're driving together because we're trying to beat each other. It was competition, brotherly competition. It was different when he went away, but it was... I mean, by the time we stopped, I was 14, I, I had a bit more of an idea of what what was going on, things I, I wanted to do. Um, you know, this was the, the year of doing Janetta, uh, and he was doing karting. So it was still different, and I just, yeah, would start travelling alone, and he wouldn't be there. Uh, so it was a bit weird, but then... Was, kind of George,
2: it. was George Russell a mate back then? Or was he just who... You know, he was more the guy we looked up to. <laughs> no, you still have to be mates, I suppose, or not? Um... No, I mean, can you, you, you remember having a barbecue like, with him or why something Why would he be like
1: mates that? with me? I'm like, I'm the guy in 15th place and he's winning races. He's not going to be want to be mates with me. <laughs> After, by the time we got to the end of karting, we were mates. The first few years we we won, we didn't know him at all. But then as we kind of took a few steps up and he was racing abroad and then I started racing abroad, another Brit. Um, then you start to get to the know him a bit more and you speak and... Um, is he your best mate on the grid now? George, yeah. I, well, him, Alex, and... The Brit Pack. Him and Alex, we just know well. We get along really well because of racing last year and kind of going up and karting a little bit together. Um, but then on the side, obviously, Carlos um, and Max. Those are the group of guys that I speak to mostly. Max,
2: because of doing all the sim racing. But you raced against Max in karting as well? never i'm sure i've seen a photograph of you two there's
1: two of us because i won the european championships that day
2: ah, different and he races, won the european
1: so. championships that day but in seniors ah okay so
2: you say so you were in the same paddock but not same the same paddock race. but not okay. in the the same category can um, we talk about those relationships a bit because you know we're sitting in the we're sitting in the mclaren motorhome and you know this is where senna prost had their yeah. thing going on and you could also, I think, include Lewis and Fernando Alonso back in two thousand and seven. And there's always been, you know, a bit of needle and, and I find the sort of the friendship with Carlos seems genuine. Yeah, is it?
1: Yeah, it's not. Um, it is. Everything we do is none of it's acting. None of it's something we're not. We're both just enjoying being where we are, working with each other. And with McLaren, that we're we're free to just be who we want to be. We don't need to hide or be someone we're not. Like I think you do see in other teams. From what I've seen of Carlos, he's very different to what he was
2: the last few years. Have you discussed that? Has he does he admit that? Mm, I don't know. I haven't. He feels. I haven't discussed it with him, but just uh, as an observer, he seems very relaxed in this environment. Yeah. He seems very relaxed around you. Yeah. Whereas at Renault, he had Hulkenberg and, and... Yeah, and I don't think... That, it,
1: like, um, you would say the Red Bull... Anyone who's in the Red Bull situation is just tense, I think. Because you've always got another driver that's there somewhere. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, you know the story of how... Hmm. Red Bull Works. Were you ever tempted, were you ever asked to become part of that programme, the Red Bull programme?
1: No. I don't know.
2: What do you mean you don't know?
1: I met... Well, no, I don't really know. Um, I met Helmut Marko, actually, after qualifying on pole in Monaco before being disqualified for having something illegal on the car um <laughs> i was in formula rennes 2016 or 2015 yeah 2015 and uh no 2016 yeah 2016 um and uh yeah i was on pole and my manager got a call from helmet marco and uh i went to go and see uh well, from our paddock, which is like a mile away from where the track is, all the way to in the paddock of F1. Freaking awesome. And you know, they're like, hardly ever been in there. Onto the Red Bull barge. And uh, yeah, I walked in, met him, had a little conversation. I still remember pretty much everything he said.
2: Oh, go on, do share, do share. I'd imagine he was very generous in his praise.
1: Yes they um, yeah, just wanted to kind of know a little bit about me, I guess. And, you know, asking me a few questions. How much does a Formula Renault car weigh? I've got no idea. I'm like, I had to come up with a word. I have to come up with something, didn't I? I had to come up with, yeah, you know, uh, 400 kilos, 426 and something like that. Like, oh, okay, I'm like. I think I even actually ended up saying I don't really, I don't really know. And then um, <laughs> the next thing he said was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> the next thing he said was, well, Max would know. Max knows everything about the car. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to say after that. It's just like, ah, uh, right, okay. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I, just, I can't really remember what happened. But I didn't, well, I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, okay, um, moving on, kind of thing. I just, yeah, I was speechless, and uh, yeah, that was about that. That's what. I'm, so no offer, no, no offer. No, um, I was, I was in a good position with what I was doing, and uh, my manager as well looked after a lot of the, the conversations and stuff like that and for the best I think uh, there might have been something but I, I ended up not, obviously not joining Red Bull and um, continuing in the run and the situation I was in at the time which was just doing well in Formula, w- or Formula Renault ended up winning that um, being a free guy basically not getting caught up in the, rent, the Red Bull you know once you're in you're on a tight leash with yeah. what you can do I'm and sure then,
2: Carlos has told you yes, about
1: that yes yeah. he has yeah um so, yeah, for my, my manager knew for, the, for me was the, the best thing was to, to be on my own and not be with, with Red Bull or even another team at the time because um, I still had the possibility to go through to F3 and F2 and, and do that um, before having to or choosing to join an F1 team.
2: So, Carlos, you live vaguely close to each mm-hmm. other in the UK. Um, do you hang out? Mm, not. He's, he's rarely there, to be honest. He lives in Spain still. That's not what he tells us in the media. I've moved to I mean, Yes. <laughs> he's there a lot of the you time. He's just blown his cover. Uh, oh, shite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, he's 50 50. He lives in Spain. He still goes and lives with his family a lot of the time. But he's, I would say he's there a good two, three days a week. Always, there, obviously, to be at, at McLaren. So when he's there, he's uh, mostly at McLaren. Um, normally for the weekends he flies back, and then for the week after he he will come back. Um, so when he is there, you know, we'll play on the sim or um, go play top
2: golf together. You'll go to the driving range and yes, whack a few balls. I mean he's really good at golf. Yeah, he is. I'm um, freaking yeah. awful. Are so you? he
1: has a lot to. Yeah, he he actually helps me quite a bit. But,
2: but so what happens? when it gets tasty and you know let's hope that the McLaren is is competitive this year and you guys are fighting at the sharp end when it gets a bit tasty on track between you and you're fighting over the same bit of tarmac do you envisage a situation where it's gonna get out of control or do you think that the friendship is deep enough for you guys to be able to deal with whatever I know at some point
1: in the future um, and this year it's gonna get more tense and more iffy and we're going to probably fall out a few times in terms of getting frustrated with one another or you know he holds me up or something or i hold him up or something not not on purpose because i don't think we'll ever go that far but um you know you lose out on a position or something because you're racing or you're side by side and you squeeze him and he has to run off or i have to run off the track you're going to have something like that and uh someone's going to be uh, annoyed about it and be one, of the, one of us is going to be unhappy so uh, yes I think that is going to happen but um, I don't know I don't
2: Have want to you say discussed big. it? No Have you discussed it with Andreas Seidel team principal?
1: I think we have a very good not, we don't have rules and we don't have team artists but we have a very good understanding for one another for our best interests for each other Um, and ourselves, but also the team and what we want to achieve with the team and obviously hoping to be with McLaren in the future years. And for that is, you know, do what we did last year and we wouldn't have got fourth in the constructors last year. So I can probably say it's it's better if I say about last year that without working how we did last year and having our own principles and respect for one another and trying to help each other and be a team... We would not have finished fourth in the constructors last year. Um, a lot of good results from him were, let's say, helped by me, and a lot of my results, which were good, were helped by him. So we've we've worked really well together, and I think that's been very beneficial for us. Um, and of course, that's more what I meant by if we can stay with McLaren, that's our goal. Is we want to be winning races, we don't want to just be you know P eight, P nine, like we were last year. We want to be winning and doing even better. So for each other and coming into this year I think we did the best job we could to to work together
2: how confident are you of getting another year out of McLaren at least another year um there's
1: a I don't know it's a difficult question because um
2: does it weigh on your mind
1: no not yet probably will (laughs) coming later on in the season at the moment I'm I just need to just do what I did last year pretty much. I think that was a good start. There's things I need to work on for them to be very confident, but they give me confidence and they're honest and they say what I'm good and what I need to do better on, um, which is very good. And that gives me the ability to work on those things and be a more complete and better driver. And as long as I work on that, um, I think I've proven a lot of reasons why I should be able to stay. And given you know that little bit more time to work on these small things, but at the same time, um, that I've done a good enough job last season already, um, knowing that I'll probably only improve
2: to stay with the team. So, Max Verstappen is also a mate, you say? Yeah. Um, he's also a teammate, isn't he? Team yes, red Yes, is. Who's quicker? We're talking about e racing now.
1: Uh, this is tough. We're very similar, in fact. Um, it's, it ends up coming down to who spends the most time on the simulator, and we're both very committed to spending a lot of time on the simulator, testing and putting in laps. He's the same as me, I think, in terms of when he wants to do something well, he spends a lot of time trying to be perfect at it, um, when, especially when it comes down to the to the driving and to racing. So, housework. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> a glorious life for Monaco. Um No, I'm not too sure, but we we both like push each other and we're both very competitive when it comes to driving on the simulator. We both want to beat each other just as much as normal and as a, as driving an F1 car. Um so yeah, it's it's good, it's just competition. But uh again, we've not raced each other on the actual track yet. So
2: what about Lewis Hamilton? How, how are relations with him? How well do you know him?
1: Uh, I don't. I don't know him, let's say. Uh, you, I've only I've you really, really seen what you've seen.
2: Do you chat when you're on the, on, on the bus going around waving at the crowd before the race? No, rays? he
1: normally has his, his headphones in and he's on his own. So I don't think he really speaks to anyone <laughs> normally. Did he talk to you at the I start of I wished him Merry Christmas you. and Happy New Year. In Abu Dhabi, you said no, that? No, I mean, I texted him. Oh, okay. I've got his number, and I can all right. sell it. <laughs> um, and did you get a reply? I did, and he wished me back.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know if I said Merry Christmas. I, I remember I really...
2: Michael Schumacher um, always used to make a thing out of getting to know all of the drivers on the grid. So a new guy, Pedro de la Rosa, used to say, his first race in 1999 in Melbourne, the, first, the person who opened the door of the hotel for him the crown towers in melbourne was michael schumacher yeah and they had a chat and michael introduced himself there was none of that from lewis
1: uh, towards you now
2: it's more no. oh yeah how are you doing then he's off right okay so what about the press conference at silverstone last year then lewis was in that press mm-hmm. conference daniel ricardo you was were in there that. as well yeah, yeah i was i was i remember <laughs> it vividly i mean um, that was funny yeah can, we, can you share the joke now six months everyone off. knows the joke you should we're know working. it was in the, the, the script I after I can't remember the joke you'll have to tell
1: me again alright I can't remember what was going on I was talking about moustaches weren't we
2: yes we were yeah
1: and how Lewis can grow one very well and I said um, yeah I've been growing one for it's what 19 years still not, not going so strong and um, then Daniel peered over to his left and was um, like, uh, <laughs> "Have you even got pubes yet?" <laughs> um, and uh, as a, as a joke, I answered no, but like, but just between me and him, so um, so no one could really hit, really hear. You can only see us saying it after, um, and like nothing happened for a few seconds. And you know when you're in school and you, you got your mates kind of made you laugh. But you're trying to concentrate, and then you look up, but you just see him giggling, and then you can't help but help yourself but just laugh. It was that situation, and uh, we're talking about it. And Danny's just—he's a, a funny guy, and um, I kind of like looked back over, and I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, my but jaw was hurting. I was laughing. It was so—it so, was. It it was hilarious. Hilarious. I couldn't ask
2: you another question as the as the, the MC, could I? You—you—you you, you were gone, man, gone. Was the gone. man was gone was completely. But I love that you're just so relaxed in this environment. Yeah. That's what I took away from that press conference, is that this guy Lando Norris, you know, there are a lot of people who are quite nervous before that kind of thing, and yet you're just so easy with the whole thing. It's like... Well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm nervous.
1: I, you know, I need to answer the questions right. I can't, I can't just say whatever. I still need to be a little bit mm. within the... Mm know sponsors and and team and what our goals are and, and and everything like that so I still have to you still need to talk a little bit about you have to still be a team player kind of thing and say what you should say and not say what you shouldn't say but um so I'm still nervous about that and you know it's live tv and everything you don't want to mess up make a fool of yourself like I did um <laughs> Oh no But uh it's still like
2: yeah it's no, still
1: trying to be normal and just you and then him making you laugh it's still just that's what happens and if we won not in that situation I don't know maybe it wouldn't have been as funny I think it was just funny that we're in front of like a live TV and you're asking the questions and it just situation oh. made it even worse but
2: yeah um, you you, yeah. you got McLaren a few headlines that day but I look,
1: did it was all part of the plan it was, it was all part of the plan yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
2: now look there's one last area I just wanted to ask you about and that is the whole sort of social media thing yep. and how close is the virtual Lando, the guy that we see on Instagram and twitching and all these sorts of things, how how close is that person to the, the virtual, how close is the virtual Lando to the real Lando? To
1: me. Um, well, I think what you see on Twitch is just me. I mean, it's just me with a camera in front of me. Why do you do that? It's just good fun. Yeah, if I'm spending those 36 hours playing on my computer <laughs> or whatever it <laughs> was... <laughs> I, I, ne- I would never do that solo. I can not just spend that time on my own. I normally play with some friends or I'm you know playing with some other drivers or yeah, playing with some people I know. Um, but at the same time, if no one else is on or wants to play, then I stream and you can just interact with your viewers. You know, my, my well not viewers, my fans and people that wanna see w- a normal me, a normal driver. That sits at home and plays on a computer like a normal person, and that it's not i'm not some some hero that just you know magically drives an f one car and everything I do is like something that they could dream of doing. I still just sit at home and I play on my computer so um I know it's just good fun and it creates a lot of laughs a lot of the time because you have people saying stuff and just, I mean I'm chatting w- with people online but you're just answering questions they create challenges you can make people's day by um, you can do giveaways you can do whatever that's where I started my merch actually that's where I started all of it um, it's just it's another way of giving my fans another or more interaction with me mm. it's also just because I get a bit bored sometimes.
2: Do you you, you spoke at the launch of the MCL35 about some negativity you've got? Yeah. Um, do you feel very vulnerable, very exposed in your position as a Formula One driver who tries to interact and give back to the fans? Yeah. Do you feel um, exposed? And-
1: I guess you do a little bit. There's and I mean you do. A lot of me, like I don't care about and. I'm not that fast about what people say.
2: What kind of things do people say? Um,
1: it's just a lot of stuff like. I know it's, it doesn't even have to be horrendous, but it can
2: I mean does it get very personal or is it just Ferrari fans saying, "Oh, I don't like McLaren."
1: No, like that I don't care. at all about what what those people would say. I mean, that's just their own opinion about the team and that's fine. But if it's more personal stuff, you know, you just got people to talk about say my family or my dad or things that they literally don't have a clue about and they think that they have an idea and they're saying stuff, you know, yeah. more. A lot of it's personal about my family or something. Then that's what gets to me a bit more. Do you reply? Do you engage with these no, people? I people? I no, I never do that. No. I mean, I, I, a lot of the time I just laugh and I love seeing what people can come up with and where they get these ideas from.
2: Yeah. So but I it, love seeing it that sometimes, worry, but it, there's don't. still
1: some things and it's more than about how people, what people see as in me. So the thing that I said I was going to change with social media was I make these jokes and I post them online and I have fun and I, I don't just post about Formula One cars. Like you get a lot of drivers, not obviously a lot of drivers, like some of the drivers do, but I post a lot about fun and what I do at home and stuff like that, which... Again, they're not all my fans want to see. A lot of them just want to see McLaren and me winning and stuff like that, which which I'm still fine with. But um, the thing is, when you make when I if I make a mistake or I have done something, then they are they see that the day before I posted something funny, I joke for some reason, and which I think is normal for a human. But you see that, and they think the reason I would have made that mistake is because. You know, they've not seen any other driver post a a joke or something funny on social media. And I'm the only one of the only ones or I think I was one of very few or the only one. I think everyone's changed a bit now Um, that did something like that and post a joke and and so on. They use that as the excuse for why I would have made that mistake in qualifying or why I made a mistake in the race. Like, you know, you're not concentrating enough. You're not focusing on the right thing. Maybe you should stop making all these jokes and stuff like that. Which again, I'm completely fine with. I I don't get stressed about that or worry about it. But it's just, I'd rather not see it. And without having to uh, change who I am, because I'm not gonna do anything like that. um, It's just, choose a bit more specifically when I post uh, jokes and stuff like that, and memes and post more relaxing stuff. And post a bit more about me working with my engineers and going for a run and being in the gym just so that I, I still show them a little bit more of, that I'm hard working and that I do my best I can in Formula One and it's not all just fun and jokes and stuff like that. Isn't
2: it, it's sort of perception. It's
1: just the whole perception of You've got to have, you feel I am, yeah. But isn't that... And I'm fine with what a lot of people... I, don't,
2: I feel that's... A, do people, you feel that's sad that you feel you have to give the perception that you're Hard working and training when you know you know you're doing no because
1: it's it's something so small i think like uh i'm not changing anything who i am i'm just posting like what times and how often i post about something funny which Mm. is like so easy to do it's not like i have to go and spend so much time thinking right i can't do this now and i have to not be me it's just i don't post it till after the weekend simple as that um, mm. or something like that it's, it's just something small which uh, I don't think that's sad because it's so small but if it gets to the point where I'm like I just can't be me and, and so on then um, then that's the sad point but I'm I'm not anything like that I I find the humour in a lot of the hate that I get I feel
2: sad I feel sad listening to you describe Aww. it like that but well, let's end on a positive note. Yes. Uh, by the way, the chicken still hasn't been touched. It is still touched. there. It's not been really touched. Well, we predicted <laughs> that, didn't we? We predicted that the chicken was going to be touched. But look, final thoughts then. What have I got? I, I, um, go on, McLaren's chances in 2020. Yep. Is it, you know, Carlos got a podium last year. Is that, if I was to sit down with you after Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. how would you sum up a successful season?
1: I would sum up a successful season by, hmm. well, as a team, as a team, I'd say successful is by simply doing a better job than we did last season, by making the most of more of opportunities and mistakes by the top three teams, being there more when it counts, less problems with reliability, which is within our hands. As a team, I think that's that's our goal. It's just to take another step forward, gather even more understanding for next year, but at the same time, still try and get even better results throughout the year. Um, you know, get more of those P4s or P5s, even, and if we can get the podium. But with the podiums, I think we'll need a bit of luck. From my side, is to work on those areas which I struggled in last year, and I know I wasn't good enough in. And such, as, such as the race, right. <laughs> in a simple term, the race. be on top of you know the communication, the tire saving, fuel saving strategy. Um, again, not being the yes man and just going, yeah, okay, I'll do this. But being proactive in in thinking, right? Actually, I want to stay out. I want. I don't want to do a two stop. I want to do a one stop. Or, guys, I think we need to change the two stop. And coming up with my own ideas a bit more. Um, but then doing a better job at tire saving, more efficient, and all these little things. I mean, all comes with big. confidence, right? They do. And um, already in this the test and the last few days, I feel like I've done a much better job in a few of those areas um which has already made me more confident and happier but position wise personally there's nothing i want to achieve or can set my goal for in terms of i want to get a p4 this season or anything i'd love to get a podium <laughs> that would be nice but for myself is to work on my weaknesses i just do what i did last season which was my best and uh
2: enjoy it and and yeah New contract in your back pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that would be another, that's another one. Make sure I'm here next year, <laughs> Lando. Best of luck with everything. What a great chat. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. See you soon. Thank you very Cheers. Much. Bye. F1 needs more Landos. He's funny. He's irreverent. And he's bloody quick. I found that a fascinating chat. There's so much more going on under the surface than his social media persona suggests. This is a man who lives and breathes motor racing. Let's hope this year's McLaren MCL35 allows him to fight at the front on a regular basis and he gets rewarded with another contract for 2021. And if ever your cleaning fetish gets too much for you, Lando, you know who to call. A big thanks for your time and to McLaren for their fantastic hospitality. Well, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd rate and review the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed to Beyond the Grid, we're on Apple, Spotify and all your favourite podcast apps. And we're going to be back next week with another spectacular guest from the world of Formula One. In the meantime, if you want to drop me a message about the show, I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. We really do love your comments and we read them all. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.